Okay. So I am he here now talking with Suzanne Lloyd. Suzanne is the granddaughter of the great Harold Lloyd. Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Oh, this is great, Keith. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> da <you>? David. <laughs> I'll reach, it, reach out to so many of Harold's fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you almost got it right. I'm David. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, uh, but let, let's see. So tell me about... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. Okay. Uh, so you tell me about your experience um, with your grandfather. You you grew up with 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 your with your grandparents, correct? I grew up with my grandfather Harold Lloyd mm -hmm. and his wife, who was also his one of his leading ladies, his second leading mm -hmm. lady, Mildred Davis, mm -hmm. and. I lived with them from the day I was born till uh, actually uh, my grandfather, my grandmother passed away, Mildred Davis, in 69. Mm -hmm. And I lived with Harold, my grandfather, till uh, March 8th, 1971, when he passed away. And I lovingly called them Mimi and Daddy. Oh, uh, and and what what was it like growing up with uh, with Harold Lloyd and and Mildred Davis, uh, two movie stars? Well, it's kind of it's it's funny because when I they had three children, mm -hmm. so my mother was their first child, Gloria, and and then in 1930 they adopted a daughter named Marjorie Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And her nickname was Peggy. And at that point, they really didn't think that my grandmother could uh, bear any more children because she'd had a few miscarriages. And um, they were they were just built this incredible home called Green Acres. It's in Beverly Hills, uh -huh. which is a national historical home. It's a landmark home. And... As they always say, when you bring another child in, all of a sudden, my grandmother got pregnant. And she had a son named Harold Lloyd Jr. in uh, January of 1931. And um, living with them, well, uh, my mother, um, my mother was, when I was being born... Um, she was separated from my father, who was named William Guasti. Okay. And so she was living up at the, at Green Acres with her parents. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I was born, she was still living there. And so I came home to Green Acres and my grandparents kind of slipped into the parents' role. My grand, my mother was quite frail. And of course, she just had a child, and then she was trying to patch up her marriage. And they tried for a few months, and it didn't work out. And they were divorced in uh, early January '53. Mm -hmm. And I became literally the uh, legal custodians of me were my grandparents, uh, Mildred and Harold Lloyd. So my entire time, I was 
growing up, I lived at Green Acres with them, mm-hmm. and they actually raised me like, you know, one of their own children, or their and their only grandchild. Um, and they were the most loving, kind, creative parents that anybody could have. And I think that a lot of it was because, honestly, when my grandfather was raising the children with with Mildred, his wife, Mm -hmm. he was, you know, shooting movies and very involved in the film community. And he kind of missed out on being a hands-on parent. Um, He was... He wasn't, like, remote with them. He loved them dearly, did a lot of things with them. But when you're making a movie or two movies a year, you're quite busy. When I came along in 1952, at that point, he was very involved with the Shriners hospitals. And he was running the hospitals, 22 of them. And he also had gotten very involved with uh, 3D photography. So for a long period of time, I thought my grandfather ran hospitals and he had some, some form of being a doctor <laughs> and, and, a, and, and a photographer. I had no clue he was a movie actor <laughs> at, at all. At what point did you did you fi- uh, figure out that that he he was a big star? Well, he used sometimes he you know it's funny. I'd invite my girlfriends and friends, and sometimes he'd play a movie of his up at the house in our screening room. Uh huh. But we all were looking at a man that had you know silver hair and wore business suits. And he was older and looked older. And we could never convince ourselves that the man on the screen was the same guy that we knew and lovingly called Harry. And all my friends called him Harry. And it was like, oh, that can't be him. But I I remember I was back in New York with the whole family, with my grandmother, uh-huh. And my uncle Harold Lloyd Jr., who was an actor and also a cabaret singer, and Harold at the time had just released a, com- uh, a, a second composite film that he'd done on his films in the 60s. The first one was World of Comedy in 62, and the second one was 1964, called Funny Side of Life. Uh-huh. And this was during uh, 1964, and my grandfather, Harold, and Harold Jr. Uh-huh. had both appeared on the Johnny Carson show together. Oh, okay. And we were in New York, and we went to the opening of Hello, Dolly. Uh-huh. And there was a huge crowd outside. And um, when we came out of the theater, we were with a group of people. And I remember Meredith Wilson's... Meredith Wilson was with us, the the... You know, the composer of The Music Man Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and his wife, who is a dear friend of my grandmother's and my grandfather's and Meredith. And my uncle was there and all these people started mobbing my grandfather 
and my uncle. And I was like taken back and I was actually holding my uncle's hand and he started signing autographs and my grandfather was signing autographs. <clears throat> and all of a sudden they kind of like lost me in the crowd uh-huh. because people were bumping, bumping, <laughs> you know, bumping me away and I'm standing there and I remember my grandfather had just taken me to Bergdorf Goodman and bought me a pair of little <clears throat> pink slats with a bow to match this pink dress I have. Uh-huh. And I'm standing there and I'm being pushed and pushed and pushed and kind of trampled on. And across the street was Hamlin and Elizabeth Taylor was dating Richard Burton and he was playing Hamlet and the crowd just got bigger and bigger and people start screaming his name and I'm going, why are they screaming his name? You know, <laughs> what is going on here? All of a sudden <clears throat> I heard this whistle and I thought, well, that's strange. And then I realized nobody was with me. And years ago when my grandfather would get in a position like that, because when he was famous, he would go out in public, but as a as an actor, but not wearing his famous horn rim glasses. Uh huh. Um, people really didn't recognize him. But if they started doing that, he would do this whistle, and everybody knew he was going to leave. And it, you know, like you know, come on, run for the car. Uh huh. Well, of course, nobody had clued the nine year old into this. <laughs> situation at all and I got dumped on the standing there on the street corner oh. and they all ran for the car and I'm standing there going where my uncle's nickname was Dookie and I'm going where's Dookie where's, where's daddy where is everybody and they jumped into the waiting car and they get in the car and my grandmother goes where's Sue where's Sue and my uncle said well, I had her, and she said, well, I don't have her. Where the hell is she? Where is she? And everybody goes, oh, my God. And the car's driving down the street out of the theater district, and my grandmother has a fit, and she said, oh, my God, she's been left behind in that crowd. Well, then she went ballistic. Oh, no. And my oh. uncle ran back, and he finds me and drags me, and he gets me to the car. And I get in the car, and I look down on my shoes. And the bow had been ripped off my pink, brand new pink shoes. And then I looked, I looked at all of them in the car and I said, and who are you? And why were they screaming your name? <laughs> and he went, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, but wait a minute. Why were they all screaming your name and pulling at you? And he said, and then they said, well, you know, Dad's really, you know, he's really an actor. And I went, an actor? <laughs> and I was like, totally clueless. And I just looked up at him and I said, they have ruined my brand new shoes. And if I don't get another pair of these pink flats, <laughs> I said, I'm just going to die here. And they said, it's okay. He said, I'll, I'll go back tomorrow and get you another pair of pink flats. I was flabbergasted. I'd never seen it. I mean, it was like crowds i mean it was like these big massive crowds and i just kind of got what dumped in the dust yeah that's and a- then i start then i kind of started asking questions 
And then they would, yeah. you know, because they never made a big deal about uh-huh. it, you know. And um, and then, you know, occasionally I'd see some of his movies on television. And I remember I, I was home once um, with a cold and a film called Movie Crazy came on television. And it was, uh, mm-hmm. he'd done it at Paramount and shot it at Paramount. It was 1932 release. And it was his second talkie. And um, he didn't like having his films shown on television. He just used to get very upset with commercials and say, you know, I'd set up a gag and it was really great. And then an editor or a commercial would come in and he said, why would I want to show a film where people are breaking it up with a car commercial or a washing machine commercial or something like that? So he really was, you know... uh, in hindsight, he made a mistake because Chaplin was on television. W.C. Fields was on television. Laurel and Hardy. Hardy were yep. on I knew that was coming next. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. all at W.C. Fields. But he really was protective of his films because he owned his own film, right? Yeah. And he also produced his films. So I'm at home, and there was a thing called The Million Dollar Movie. And uh-huh. they used to have movies once once a week, and they play them all week, and they'd show them like five times a day. Well, Movie Crazy was on television, and mm-hmm. it was a talkie, and I'd never seen a film where he spoke. And I was sitting in the nursery watching it, and my grandmother came in, and she went, oh my God, and I said, Mimi, that's really daddy on television. I said, <laughs> yeah. that's really him. And she said, well, yes, honey. Yeah, that is him. But I said, listen, he's talking just the way he talks to me and just the way he talks to our dogs. Because, <laughs> you know, he had a, a certain, I don't know, what do you call it? A, he had a Midwestern accent that was light and kind of, had a little bit of a twang, but it was, it fit his character, which he was very lucky about making the transition between silent and talkies. It was very light and, um, it was a perfect fit to the character he was playing, you know, the boy that was kind of a bit of a bumbler, but was smart and could get himself out of situations, but was a regular boy and was really normal and was like part of the crowd. And his his voice was a very normal voice. It mm-hmm. wasn't a baritone. It wasn't high and squeaky. It was it just fit. And I was just fascinated with it, hearing him speak lines in this movie because I could hear that's what he sounded like at home. Well, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, he'd been out and he bowled up at home. And he said, oh, honey, I hear you're sick with the sniffles, and how are you? And and I said, oh, my God, Daddy, I've been watching you on television all day today in a movie called Movie Crazy, and I said, it sounds just like you, but it doesn't really look too much like you, but it does kind of, but you're so much younger. Oh, my God. Well, that <laughs> that opened up a kettle of peas because <laughs> that... He called Paramount and he said, wait a minute, you don't have the rights to put that on television. I'm the producer and you have to make a deal with me. I had no idea that was happening. I mean, that was not explained until at a much later date Mm -hmm. when I was much older. 
I was fascinated seeing him on film and talking because it was just like him sitting talking at the dining room table or taking me out or doing my homework with me or whatever. And um, then I kind of went, wait a minute, he really is a movie star. And the funny thing was I went to school with a lot of kids that parents were movie stars. I went to Sandra Scott, Randolph Scott's daughter was in my class, ah. uh, Judy and Kelly Stewart, the Stewart twins, Jimmy Stewart's twins. Ah. Um, oh my God. I mean, there was just, you know, a, a, a list of them. And then I went, oh, well, that's what you really did or what you do, you know? And it kind of like, oh, well, now you're in hospitals and you, you're a photographer. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, had to explain it. So, and nobody, you know, he had a lot of people come to the house who I knew really well as a child. But, you know, I've got to tell you, David, when you're a child, did you ever ask when your parents invited their friends over? You never went to them and said, well, Uncle Bob, what do you do? I don't know. You know I, and he might yeah. say, well, I'm a teacher, I'm a plumber, I'm a, you know, I run a store or something. Yeah. So all these people would come in and out of a house from Mary Pickford, who was my uncle's godmother, to Francis Marion, the writer and director, mm. to Wally Westmore, the makeup man, to oh, Robert Wagner, who dated my mother, and Harold gave him his first agent and got him one of his first parts in, oh my word. in film. And I mean, list of people. The first person that I got a real clue on to mm-hmm. was Sterling Holloway. Oh, I um, love that guy. Who was, you know, unbelievable as Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. And Sterling was a really good friend and he was always at the house. And he was also in two of Harold's films and he was in uh, Professor Beware. And he'd sit there and one day I just said, you sound so, you sound just like Winnie the Pooh. And he went, yeah, well, I am Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is just crazy, you know. <laughs> and then Annie, uh, Frances Marion was one of my grandmother's mm-hmm. dearest friends. And she'd take me to bookstores and then she'd put me on her lap and read me books. And she had this great gravel voice. And later on, I find out that, you know, Frances Marion was the first woman to ever win an Academy Award as a writer. And then she won a second one. She won for Camille and Dinner at Eight. Uh-huh. And I had no I, no clue who was reading me books and telling me things. Colleen Moore, the, the uh, wonderful film actress, she was my godmother. Oh, and wow. um, had a hopper live down the street. I had no idea she was a... A busy buddy news Hollywood news <laughs> columnist. I just thought she had some great hats, and she'd let me go into her closet <laughs> and play with her hat. I mean, it was like, oh, wow. okay. I mean, why would you ask your parents' friends what they do? You know, you kind of accept them as Annie Hedda or Annie Francis or Aunt Ma- Aunt Mary. I mean, they just show up, and you go, yeah. okay. And uh, so I met some wonderful people that way. And as I got older, then a few more things were explained. 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, before we before we start recording, uh, you had uh, told me um, uh, that you had uh, met uh, Charlie Chaplin too. Um, so uh, tell tell me that story again. Well, I was in my mother was living in Geneva in Switzerland, uh-huh. and I went over. They took me over to see her, and she lived over in Switzerland for okay. about five years. Uh-huh. And her very dear friend was Suzanne Cloutier, the actress, who oh. was married to Peter Ustinov. Okay, yeah, I know who you're talking about, yes. And Suzanne was actually my second godmother, yeah. and I was named after her. And my oh. mother and Suzanne made a movie together called Temptation, with Merle Oban at Universal. Oh, wow. My mother played a princess. So Those are some names. I was over there seeing my, my mom with my grandparents, and then, oh, I don't know what happened. We, we were traveling around, but my mom was, in, was there in Geneva, and one day Dad said, hey, we're going to go over and see a, a friend of ours, a, a, your grandmother's and mine, a really dear friend, and he lives here. And he's got like eight kids, and you can go. You're going to go meet his kids and play with his kids, and we're going to have tea with them and chat. And I went, oh, okay. So off we go with a car and driver, and it was Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> but I didn't know it was Charlie Chaplin because my grandparents. I said, well, where are we going, and who is this? And they said, oh, honey, it's a dear old friend of ours, and Dad worked in the same business with him. And I went, okay, God knows, it could have been plumbers or, you know, horse traders. I have no clue. And they said, okay, when you get here, please be polite and curtsy or whatever. I said, okay. And so he came to the door and he had gray hair, he had a cane. And he was like, okay. And I looked at him and it was like older. I mean, it wasn't like I was looking at Cary Grant when I met him, you know, with my grandfather. Um and I just kind of, and he said, oh, well, all my kids have another house across the yard and go over there and play with them. I had no idea it was Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> I mean, nobody was cluing me in on anything. <laughs> you could, you know, nobody. And so I met him. And then, you know, later on, I realized that's what had happened. And then when I got older, um, my grandfather started bringing me into his films, and and um, th- there was a lot of curiosity with some friends of mine, especially Richard Carell, whose father was Andy of Amos and Andy, and he was a film student at USC. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came to the house, I was about 14, and I was giving a party for my girlfriend who was just turning 15. And so I was on the verge of turning 15. And <clears throat> Richard was just crazy about Harold Lloyd movies, and he was desperate to meet Dad. And I was having this surprise, big surprise birthday, and I said, well, why don't you come tomorrow night for the big birthday party? Dad will be here. Uh-huh. Little did I know that Dad and Richard's father, Charles Carell, had built the radio station KMPC uh-huh. together and Harold had a radio show sponsored by Old Gold um, it was called the Old Gold Comedy Hour 
And Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Freeman Gosden, Charles Carell, and Harold Lloyd built KMPC, Uh which is still standing and still a radio station here in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. Well, Harold was thrilled to meet, to see, you know, meet Charlie's son. Uh And I was absolutely enamored with Richard Carell, who ended up being my first boyfriend for eight years. And Richard and his other friend, a wonderful guy named Dave Knoll, who is probably the biggest aerial photographer in the business, and Richard Carell being a director for Disney. And he actually... When he was younger, he was a film. He was he was in Leave It to Beaver. He was Beaver's best friend. He was oh, okay. A lot of kids tell you know he was a kid actor, and actually today, um, Ken Osborne, who played Eddie Haskell, passed away. Right, right, yeah. Which is really sad. But anyway, Richard and Dave became the first archivist for Harold's films and putting them and started reproducing and restoring them and making fine grains and inner positives and negatives for the films. And I was so fascinated with those two. I just sit down there in the cutting room that we had at the estate. And I had the lovely job of rewinding nitrate film and putting paper between them, which was a really nasty, dirty job. And they thought that was really funny to have me do that because it smells and it's icky and kind of gooey. And then I had the big job of being able to label the film cans. Oh. But I did that. And I'd say to Dad, oh, my God. I said, this is like a lot of hard work here. And he went, well, that's what film work is, dear. And you've <laughs> got to know the elements. It's gritty. <laughs> how to restore them and how to do them. And I said, but dad, that stuff, that nitrate is just ruining yeah. my my manicure and my fingernails. And he said, well, that's too bad. You can get those repaired. Just keep going. <laughs> and, oh. I, uh, and I had a little uh, time clock. I had to check in and out of how much time I spent in the film vault. And I spent a lot of time there. Oh, and then down at the labs. And so I learned really hands-on. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that he made you do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wasn't so happy, but it's okay. It really worked out, um, and I learned a lot. So, and I had a great time because I was with, the, with Dave and Rich, and that's the only people I wanted to hang out with. Yeah. And then when I was older, um, then we got older, and my grandfather had a wonderful friend named Richard Simonton, uh-huh. and he was head of Muzak, and he actually owned the Delta Queen, the big steamboat, uh-huh. still out on the Mississippi River in the Delta, Wow! and he had a private theater in his house in Toluca Lake, and he had two Wurlitzer organs, and we used to go out there and play the films, and the very famous organist, Gaylord Carter, who used to play the films in the theaters of Harold, you know, when they were released, mm-hmm. used to come out and play for play the films. Mm-hmm. And then we started recording music to the films and have Gaylord play them. Oh. Well, at the theaters. So I have incredible Gaylord Carter soundtracks for the films. Uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. I, I love these stories. Um, let me shift over a little bit uh, to 
uh, Harold Lloyd uh, his and his characters, his screen persona changed uh, over time. Um, and tell tell us in a nutshell uh, about the evolution of his character on the screen. Well, he kind of you know he he started as an extra. He. Um, he was like in a, come, almost a dozen movies, wasn't he? Colorado with his father. His parents were yeah. divorced very early on. He was a teenager. Uh-huh. And that was very different in 1912, 1911, 1912, to be um, come from a divorced family. Mm-hmm. And his father really couldn't hold a job too well. He had a form of an accident and with a and a car accident and he got some funding or you know a settlement and Harold's mother Elizabeth kind of went off they had two boys Gaylord who was four years older than Harold and he went up to Montana to be a kind of a rancher farmer he wanted to try that Elizabeth stayed in in Colorado. Harold graduated from Denver, Colorado. And then he and his dad flipped a coin and they said, and Harold had been taking acting classes in high school and he loved it and he loved theater. And I think that was his real true passion was first to be a theater actor. And they flipped a coin. It was either, you know, heads or tails who were going to go east Broadway or we'll go out to Hollywood and Edison had a theater a you know a studio that they'd moved from New Jersey out to out to San Diego mm-hmm. so they went to San Diego and Harold started working in a theater and um, then his acting teacher who'd been in Colorado he was down in San Diego and started a acting school and Harold was still taking lessons and then he had a, a little tiny bit part in uh, an Edison film mm-hmm. I mean just as like a you know just a bit actor right and um, then his dad always came up with these different crazy ideas and notions and he said well I'm going to go to Hollywood and see if I can open up a diner or do something well that failed miserably but he left Harold in San Diego, and in the end, Harold had really no funding at all, and was living in a tent uh, on top of the A Hotel in San Diego, and so he thought, well, I'm just going to go up there and find out what my father's doing up in Hollywood, and he ended up being an extra and breaking into the gates at Universal Mm -hmm. with face makeup and different character makeup on, because he found out that it he couldn't get through the gate as a regular guy or as a regular player or an actor. He used to sneak on to the, to the lot and then sit around with the extras and makeup. And then somebody would call you in the bullpen because remember, well, all the first ADs would go to the bullpen and there'd just be tons of actors they'd pull from. Mm-hmm. Well, as he was sitting there and he was Harold was really good at cards. He was really good at card tricks. He was very good at, you know, doing magic, little magic tricks. He met Hal Roach. 
and Roach was there being an actor. And uh, they started doing little bit parts, but with Roach, his aunt died and left him like $5,000, which was a fortune in 1915. Sure. And Roach said, hey, you want to be an actor. I want to be a producer. I don't want to be an actor. Why don't we just get a camera and start shooting in the streets like everybody else is doing this? This is ridiculous. And that's how they formed their uh, their union and their through their friendship and came up starting to shoot one-reelers. And that's what people were shooting anyway, were one-reelers. And uh, Harold Roach wanted him to kind of be an opposite uh, of like, just kind of a bummy character called Willie Work. Mm -hmm. And Willie Work kind of had tight clothes, a little split mustache, a little hat. And he was kind of a scrungy street person. And, you know, he, they did it, and it became successful, and it was doing okay, but it wasn't great. And Harold wasn't really comfortable in that. Now, remember, you had Chaplin who came in, right. and he was the tramp with the over, oversized shoes and the coat and the hat and everything. But all the different, all the different comedians in that day needed something. They needed a mustache. They needed handlebar sideburns. They needed a, a certain costume. They had to have a gimmick to make them funny or, or different. <clears throat> and then it, Harold had a feeling that he wanted to play kind of more of a common person mm -hmm. that could be into funny situations. So they came up with called The Boy and it was Lonesome Luke who wore a suit and a kind of a floaty tie, uh, like a kind of like a bow tie, but not a bow tie, like it's tied in a bow, like a scarf bow. And that started to kind of pick up a trend. But then Harold said, oh, I don't even know if I want to do this. And he'd gone to the movies and seen a preacher in a film wear glasses. So he came to Roach and he said, I'll tell you what, I want to be a regular guy and I want to be a regular guy who can be right on the street, but I want to wear a pair of glasses. I don't want any funny clothes. I want to be like your brother, your cousin, your next door neighbor, mm -hmm. uh, the guy down the street, a guy who could be a shoe salesman to a soda jerk to drive in a taxi. And Roach said, oh, you know, I think you're crazy. He said, who wants to do it? And he said, no, believe me. I want to be believable. And I want to be believable to the fact where I can have a relationship with a girl. And, you know, they didn't have, per se, so much romance in the films. Yes, there were girls in the films. But they weren't, like, a focus of the films. So Harold really kind of was the template of romantic comedy. Yep, yep. So Roach did not believe him with the glasses, and he said, okay, I'll make you a deal. And Pathé was their distributor. Mm -hmm. And Harold had gone to Pathé and said, this is my idea, and I want to do this. And Pathé said, well, okay, you're, you know, your films are picking up, and they're doing pretty well. But Roach was still scared to leave 
the Lonesome Luke. So he said, okay, one week we'll make a Lonesome Luke film and with the floaty tie, and the other one we'll turn around and wear with glasses mm-hmm. and see who wins. And the glasses went out. And that's how the boy, or Harold, as he called it, or the glasses character, which it's always been referred to, was born. Yeah, and and it's it's really great foresight on his part because uh, you're absolutely right about the whole. Uh, you know, you got to have something physical uh, uh, to stand out, and you know, with Chaplin, but it Harold was, didn't want to be Chaplin. He didn't want to be yeah. Keaton. He didn't want to be the tramp and be stuck into a form of a character who he couldn't break out of. He didn't want to be Keaton, who was so brilliant. But his gags took a long time to build up. Plus, he was more of a... He wasn't downtrodden. He was more of a sad character who was kind of a bit of a misfit in everything he did. And Harold just wanted to be a regular guy on the street doing regular things that would or could happen to somebody. I mean, he didn't have a bear come in and fight him like with Chaplin. He didn't have a house come over him, even though he did incredible things of climbing buildings and getting on buildings and hanging from a clock that, you know, he was known for the most. That's his most, I, that picture of him hanging off the clock is the most iconic picture of the silent era. But it's something that could happen and be believable in real time. He could carry 12, it, bo- 12 boxes from the department store. <laughs> yeah, he could do that. But, you know, maybe he could really, a normal person in the build eight, so he just put a few more on top. But he could do it. And, you know, he could get into a baseball game. Yeah. He could drive a taxi. You know, he, and the bottom second layer of his film was <laughs> Harold Lloyd always got the girl. He was either at the end, got the girl, asked her to marry him, got engaged, got married, Whatever. The only film he ever played with a married woman was in a film called Hot Water. And after he did that, and he did that with Jabina Ralston, he said, I, I can't do that. He said, it's not that funny being a married man. I need to be a single, you know, romantic, you know, a bachelor. Um, but I'll, I'll watch any movie with Jabina Ralston, though. Just <laughs> um, yeah, she was wonderful. She was yes, wonderful. she sure was. She did eight films with him. Yes, absolutely. Well, she, she replaced my grandmother. I mean, when he married my grandmother, <clears throat> and they got married right after making shooting safety last. Yeah. And the first time they showed up together, you know, as Mister and Missus Harold Lloyd was on April. Fool's Day, 1923, uh-huh. when they premiered it. <laughs> Excuse me. And, um, you know, he said to her, you know, she had a pretty good career, and she'd been making movies for Roach, and she did 
18 films with him, he said, Mid, I can't have you as a leading lady. I'm married to you. It's not funny. <laughs> I mean, people know we're married. I can't, I can't do this, you know? So she kind of like took it, but she wasn't that happy with it because that meant that she had to back out of her career. But yeah. she did. And then she got pregnant with my mother, Gloria, and had her in 19, May of 1924, actually May 21st, 1924. Um, and then she went back and pay, and made two movies for uh, Daryl F. Sanic. And so she went back to a career and then she was building a house and and some things happened and she lost a couple of children and and then she actually she retired she said okay until um it came the part where she wanted to play alice and alice in wonderland in 1930 uh-huh. and with Cary grant played the white rabbit uh-huh. and uh she was she got pregnant and she couldn't do it Oh, so okay. She had my, she had Harold Lloyd Jr. instead. Uh, wow. And then she didn't go back to acting because she had three kids at home. Yeah, so it was just kind of like, that was it. Um, that was it. Yeah. Well, you know, you're the when I hear your, you describe Harold Lloyd, I just, I just, I have all these visions in my head of all these uh, all these fun gags. Uh, do you have a particular? Uh, let Let's go this way. Uh, I I was gonna ask you. Let me ask you this way. Um, do you have a particular short or maybe two shorts that you like the most? I like. I love Ass Father. Yeah. With Baby Daniels, and I love a Sailor Made Man with my grandmother where. It was really his, kind of his first feature because it was three and a half reels long. Uh It started as a two-reeler and then it got expanded. I think those two, I love those two. And I also like when my grandmother, Number Please, um, were there at, um, what was shot down at like Palisades Park in Santa Monica. But it was kind of the front runner of Speedy where he shot Coney Island and uh-huh. Luna Park Speedy in New York in 1927. That's kind of a favorite of mine. Do you, uh, do you, um, do you, do you have, let me, let me go back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago before he was uh, super famous. Did he, was he an extra in, um, oh, I, what, I forget the name of the film now, um, in the film, um, Hale of Two Monks. I was gonna say a little hero with Mabel Norman. That's I was gonna bring. But no, he, no, he, he was wasn't. not. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, because it, it, it's listed on the IMDb, but there are a lot of there are a lot of errors um, in in that mm-hmm. particular decade. Uh, that particular mm-hmm. decade is really. Um, I've I've done some studies, and I, I there are a lot of. There's just a lot of things that can't be verified, and you know, like 
Milton Berle was in a silent movie in 1912. I, you know, people are like, nah, I don't think so. Um, so you know who Harold started as a, in silent films, and he produced six of his films was Edward Everett Horton. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I have those films. Yeah, no, you have been, you have been uh, the. Um, uh, now uh, I want to bring this up. Um, now you 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 have a, a, a great website that you're in charge of. Um, it's uh, it's just haroldloyd.com, right? Yeah, it's just okay. Yeah, yeah, and that's where you can find them. It's a it's a marvelous uh, tool to be able to kind of introduce yourself or make yourself more familiar with Harold Lloyd and. You know, uh, what would your grandfather say about because uh, I because I've had this discussion with a couple people. And, um, you know, when I, when I realize I can put on YouTube and see a Harold Lloyd film or, or, or short or see, a uh, you know, a Chaplin short or Mabel Normand, um, you know, all those silent um, heroes from the beginning um, when I. When I realize that I can watch it on YouTube and just flip it on my TV that way, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased but equally horrified that I have such easy access to it. What 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 do you think you, you, your grandfather? Because he didn't like it on TV with commercials. He would be horrified. That's what I thought. Let's leave it at that. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. It it's really. Uh, he likes showing his films with. A great, either, you know, an organ accompaniment or a full symphony orchestra and playing them live and not having them cut up because YouTube cuts them up every, what is it, every 10 minutes or less. Oh, he'd die. He would just die. He'd hate it. Yeah. One of the reasons that he kept his films didn't go on television and he lost a lot of fans for a period of like, oh, I think he lost about two decades of people who can envision the picture of him hanging off the clock and go, yep. oh, yeah. And they'll go, oh, that's Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. No, it's Harold Lloyd. Because he wasn't that visible, and he held his films off of TV. And then in the early 60s, he put out two film composites to reintroduce himself. But remember, he owned the films. It wasn't like a studio owned them. So he was in control of them, of where they played or what they did. And then he went to great lengths when he did those two composite films to hire Walter Scharf, who at that time in the early 60s was like, you know, John Williams of today. Yeah. And he was one of the finest composers and hired the London Symphony Orchestra to put the music onto the films and the Berlin Symphony Orchestra to do that onto uh, Funny Side of Life. I mean, he he was passionate and made it very clear to me when I got involved with the films. And I was very young. I mean, I've got to tell you, I wouldn't trust a 19-year-old with my world's art yeah. or works or masterpieces, but he trusted me. God knows what he saw. I have no clue. <laughs> I was still fussing around wearing my nails were bad with a nitrate film. But, you know, I've been taking care of the films for 46 years. Yeah, 
I, it, it, I'm like, like I said, I'm, no, he I'm obviously did something right. I guess. Now are I any, are any, are any of his films? Uh, I, I know the ones where he's an extra, I, I know some of those are long gone, but did, 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 are any of these where, where he's the star? I, I know some of them are lost, but how many of them are lost where, where he's the star? Well, we've been able to recover a number of them, but I think there's about mm, a good 60 that are gone. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, it's really, gosh, it's so... I mean, I got, in the last release I did with Criterion on The Kid Brother, we got Over the Fence, which is his first film, it's with... B.B. Daniels, his first film that he put on his glasses. And then we found Hey There, which was a one-reeler. I just watched Hey There last night. (laughs) Yeah, and Hey There is missing seven minutes. Oh, really? Okay, there is some continuity there. You know, it's skippy. You know what I mean? It skips a portion and then it goes to a portion and then it skips back. But it, it, it should be longer. But it's because that was lost too. But we did find it. Yeah. And uh, a wonderful restore at UCLA. Dino put that together because all we had was a nine-frame piece of film. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very weird small gauge. Right, right. And sometimes and when then yeah, I just on that if you saw it on those two films on the Criterion. Um, label that I did the kid brother I had Nathan Barr the very well known and very what would you say spectacular composer who is current and loves silent films and loves Harold Lloyd and I was so lucky he composed new scores for both those films and um, for me and Nathan Barr does True Blood and Carnival Row. He just did Hollywood for Ryan Murphy. And he's got the brand new on HBO, uh, The Great, about Catherine the Great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he is wonderful. And he actually purchased the 20th Century Fox Wurlitzer organ from Fox oh. when they pulled it out of Fox Studios. And that that organ that he has, the Wurlitzer, I mean, it's in Patton, it's in the sound of music, it's in Vertigo, it's in the birds. I mean, it, it was played for so many films, Fox films, and he built a wonderful recording studio around that, and he uses that organ now in composing all of his compositions. Wow, that's... That's a real. That's a real find. Um, now he's a real find. <laughs> he's a genius. He's really a genius. Now you had um, we we talked about uh, favorite shorts. Do you have a favorite feature? Because he made some really good ones to choose from, and safety last always would come first to mind. But but I'm something tells me you're not going to say that one. I love safety last and I love seeing my grandparents together. Uh-huh. Okay. I think it's wonderful. I love the scene 
where he's in the sale scene and the women are ripping him apart at the fabric oh. sale. That is just, <laughs> that's just so classic. Yes. I mean, that's like a bad, that's like a bad shoe sale at Saks Avenue <laughs> today. But um, I love Speedy. I think it's so wonderful. That's what I thought you were going to tell me. Yep. I think it's a Valentine to New York. Oh. And I think the kid brother is so, it's the reverse of the Cinderella story. You yeah, know, good the point. two evil brothers and the father and they don't believe in them. And it's just, it's just perfect. The way it was shot and placed. And it had three different directors on that too. Oh, th- three. I didn't even realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a... Uh, um, yeah, I, I, had a, I had a feeling you were going to say S- Speedy, but um, yeah, the, that's kind of a... That's a little bit how I feel, too. I I, I don't know. It's hard really not to say Speedy Saving Speedy is Lynch. just so fun yeah. and creative and fresh and modern, you know? He's driving the cab. He can't keep a job. He's yeah. in love with baseball. He's got... Babe Ruth in there, and he grabbed him, and that was Babe Ruth's biggest year when he hit more home runs than anything. La Luna Park and going to Coney Island with the girl, and all he thinks about is his new suit, getting on the subway, going to Coney Island. (laughs) I mean, in today's times, it's too bad nobody can go anywhere, but we'll get through this pandemic and this state. But I'll tell you, you know, watching Harold Lloyd films, I think it's very American. Well, actually, maybe not. It's very uh, open to anybody in any country. He has a spirit of life and mm-hmm. love of people and enjoying life and um, having fun, And but also veering ahead. Like, okay, that's not going to stop me. I'll find a way around that, and I'll keep going. And not in a mean or evil way in a way that's smart and clever to place yourself front and forward and to move ahead and accept things and go, well, we can still have a great time and we'll still go ahead. Wow. Those, that's, those are really great words, Suzanne. I, I, um, I, I gotta tell you, I, I, I really appreciate you being on this show, but I, I, I appreciate you being though, um, um, uh, a somebody that is taking care of, uh, like we talked on on the phone um, earlier be- before we recorded this, we talked we had a phone conversation and and we talked about our mutual friend Tr- Tracy Gosel and how how she is trying to um, you know key- curate uh, the all of the 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 of the great bi- biograph films and and I love that this is what you're doing too. And, um, I, I mean, we, we need desperately, uh, for people to, uh, speak out for these films, uh, because, um, those people are not here anymore to do it. And, 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 you know, so, uh, the main reason why I do this podcast is because I want, um, I want people to, uh, appreciate, uh, films and, and these films that your grandfather did, I, um, I, you know, he's, he's uh, got an amazing, you're right. He's got an amazing spirit in his, and, and his, and his, uh, character. And, and it sounds like, uh, sounds like he, he was, uh, beautiful to you. 
And, um, you know, I really, I'm, I really appreciate the fact that you're able to come on here and, and talk about him in such a warm and pleasant way. And uh, it sounds like you are very appreciative of being uh, his granddaughter. And uh, of oh, also... I was, very, I was very lucky. I was really blessed that they were like my parents and raised me in a really loving home. And I had a great education. They showed me the world. I traveled extensively with them from the time I was two years old. They never left me alone. I was with them all the time. And maybe they, sometimes I flipped through the cracks of who ever was coming through the door, they probably figured out, oh, well, she'll learn it later. And they never made a big deal about it. And they never made a big deal about, you know, him being a huge actor or whatever. They were, you know, um, my grandfather was from the Midwest and he was, you know, he did have, he had a lot of old fashioned or Midwest values, you know, and you have to, you know, work for what you got. He was very humble and you have to pay back. He used to always say, you know, Never, I never don't ever turn a fan down. Always speak to them because they're the people that support you. Always help somebody else if you think they're in need and they need help. Just reach out. It doesn't matter. Always help somebody else. And he was always that way. And he really helped me. I mean, you know, I had, I was born and my parents were separated. And you know, even though, I mean, and he, you know, he just knew he had to take care of. Both of them knew they had to take care of this small little child that came in and was really kind of theirs, and they just took me in. I was, you know, very blessed. But both of them were very giving and sensitive people to other people's needs, you know. And um, he always said, you know, pass on the torch, help people. It will always come back and just just do it. Just be open about helping and uh helping people and he did that with so many actors and directors and different people he always had people coming to him asking opinions or what they should do and he was always open to that always um the only thing i can say is very honestly try and avoid you always have to try and avoid not winning a card game he would get very agitated <laughs> from gin rummy to a canasta he was not happy about that but besides that he was wonderful and you know to say he was a lot like the person you see in the movies there was a lot of his real essence of his character of the person and that character he created as the glasses character and when he dealt with the glasses character it was done in a third person it wasn't always i did this i did this that was, it was the glasses character he was he almost like producing that person but he was a lot like that person he was very similar to that guy a go-getter somebody mm -hmm. who wanted to make good somebody who wanted to get the girl somebody who wanted to please people he he was like that yeah that was really what he was and and i think that warmth and his energy and his kind of a i don't know cameras don't really lie mm -hmm. i think you can see warmth in people and their their 
spirit. He really connected with that, and I think people connect with him in that way. Yeah, I From think children to older people. If he, if nobody had, you know ever seen him, they don't walk away and go, "Oh, he was mean," or "I didn't like him." They all think they're just fascinated with him and love him and go, "I want to go see that guy again." You know, they enjoy being in his presence. My heart is so warm right now. You don't even know. I that's so great to hear. I'm 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 just yeah. It just makes me happy to hear that and and um, you know it's for you to talk so lovingly about him is just really great. Um, anything else you'd like to add to the conversation about uh, your grandfather? I don't know. Just, great hero. Boy. You know, people are sad and depressed during this time in everybody's lives it's so hard about everybody in the world you know try and tune in if you have to to even youtube and see harold blake for a few <laughs> yeah. minutes don't in your day and lift your spirits and you'll get a good giggle out of him and it will take your mind off of some of the tragedy that's going on in the you know and um you know maybe everybody should watch dr jack when he plays the feel good doctor like Robin Williams did in Patch Adams and he was taking care of little children and their dollies that were sick or their little kitty that was sick to the older people that were sick you know he just he has that kind of feel-good approach that kind of uh, I don't know warms your heart I guess yeah that's exactly what it does well, Suzanne, you have been an absolute treasure to talk with. I, um, you know, I, I could probably, I could probably easily occupy six hours of your time, but I know that you got to get to your, uh, your life, back to your life and all that. Um, but, um, you know, Suzanne, thank you so much for bringing oh, Dave, all this wonderful David, information. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. And, uh, well, Give me a jingle later on, and we can always talk about his talking films or anything else. Uh, or you know what? Photography. I was actually going to ask you that if there's any way, um, you know, we could talk about one specific film and and break it down. That that would be fantastic, and 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 um, I will definitely uh, connect with you again, and we'll we'll uh, we'll do this again with and talk more specifically about one particular film. And uh, or something like that, and we'll we'll get we'll go from there. Well, so. I'd love to do it, and thank you for inviting me on this evening as your guest. Absolutely, I really appreciate it. Absolutely, and, and I'll, thanks for being a Harold Lloyd fan, uh, and he'd appreciate it too. <laughs> and I'll throw in my grandmother too. Mamie would too. Anyway, the whole Lloyd family thanks you very much for oh, inviting us on and no, talking thank about you. thank you about so much. him. We'll, All right. we'll talk to you again soon then. Okay, my okay. pleasure. Bye-bye, Suzanne. Bye, David. Bye. So that is Suzanne Lloyd, and, and I am not kidding. That woman is a tr- absolute pleasure to talk with, and she is somebody, since she's curating the films of the great Harold Lloyd, um, she's uh, a true treasure. Uh, we're glad to have her on on the show on cinema chat and um you know boy all i had to do was flip the switch 
and asked her to start talking about about her grandfather Harold Lloyd and she just talked. Um love that. Um Yeah, so Harold Lloyd, one of the what I would call the big three or you know, uh, if you go with uh, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and uh, which one is your favorite? Well, it's probably whichever one that I saw last. But um right now it'd be Harold Lloyd <laughs> and um I would talk some more about Harold Lloyd, but I think I'm going to go watch a Harold Lloyd film. And um, much to his chagrin, it, it's going to be on YouTube. <laughs> but um, anyway, well, thank you very much for listening to uh, the program. Uh, you have been listening to your humble host, David Heath, talk with uh, the warm and wonderful Suzanne Lloyd. And we appreciate Suzanne coming on the show. This is Cinema Chat. And on this podcast, we talk about the movies. And we also talk about the people that made the movies. <laughs>